Well, our scripture reading for today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6, and read verse 6 through 16. 1 Corinthians 6, or 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16. Hey, just a note as you're turning there, um, in our rhythms guides, uh, on Sunday, we always have as the scripture reading for that day, uh, the passage that we'll be preaching that day. So you can always in the mornings read the passage ahead of time, be meditating on it uh, before uh, we come to preach it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 through 16. These words come to us by the inspired word of Christ, by the Holy Spirit of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret, and a, hidden, and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before all ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. In these things, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in word, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting the spirit's truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, for who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have, by the Spirit of God, we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we started a sermon series last week, if you were with us, where we're looking at several of the questions that people ask of Christianity, or some of the questions that cause people to reject Christianity. If you are here last week, we looked um, at kind of a really big question. I think one of the main reasons that people reject Christianity is that some tragedy or some pain has happened to them. And they say, why would a good God allow this to happen to me? Why would a good God allow so much pain and suffering in the world? We looked at that particularly in this coronavirus moment. But today I want to look at another uh, question with you that I think is really important. And, and it's why do Christians reject science or why do Christians seem to reject science? And of course, this is not new. Uh, this is old. Um, it was the church, for example, that... Uh, condemned Galileo when he said that the world was not flat, but rather round. Um, it, it's uh, Christians that are very slow to kind of look at uh, scientific method in terms of dating the earth or uh, data around things like global warming. Recently, there was an op-ed in last Friday's New York Times that said, here's the title of the op-ed, it said, the religious rights hostility to science is crippling our coronavirus response. And of course, I can go on. Christianity and science have seemed to be uh, at odds with one another. But is this the case, or should it be the case? And I think this is an important thing for us to think through. Uh, I think this is really helpful passage uh, for us 
as we do think about these things. So two things that I want to look at with you today, just two big points. What is the foundation of science? And what is the foundation of truth? What is, what is the foundation of science? If we're going to think about Christianity and science. What is science's foundation? And also, what is the foundation of truth? So let's jump right in. What is the foundation of science? And to start answering that question, I kind of want to answer a, a, a big question in the background here. Do Christians reject science or should Christians reject science? Well, of course, not only do Christians not reject science, when rightly understood, when we understand history, it's actually the Christians, it's Christian people, people who believed in God that created science. One of the things that makes Christianity different from other world religions, religions like Hinduism or uh, religions, uh, for example, like Gnosticism, is that we believe in a natural world. We believe that the world is natural. It's a physical world. We can understand the world. Uh, these things aren't illusions, uh, as some people might say. There, there really is a physical world that we live in and that we should understand. We believe that God, who is spirit, created a physical world, a natural world that we now live in. And we believe that we actually do exist, right? Our existence is not an illusion. Our existence is real. And, and what science is, what is science? Science is the study of the natural world. Science is, is where Christians said, look, because we believe in this natural world, we want to try to understand it. We want to try to interpret it. We want to take a deep dive at it and, and understand what it's saying. Science, here's a definition, is the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation, and experiment. All right, so science never intended to answer all of the questions of life, right? When Christians developed the scientific method, they, they did so understanding that science was good for understanding the physical world or the natural world, but they understood that it was never going to be able to answer all of the questions about the world. Uh, where science has gone wrong or where people who have rejected God have gone wrong is they've looked to science as a means by which they can answer all of the questions of life. It, they reject the idea that there is a natural world and there also is a supernatural world, a supernatural foundation for this natural world that we find ourselves in and whereby, and I think this is really important, whereby we can actually trust nature. Science, and what we're really talking about here is natural science. Science is built on top of theology, and that is an important thing to understand. You really don't have good science unless you have good theology. In medieval schools, all of the lectures in medieval universities, all the lectures were listed every day in alphabetical order, right? So they would, you know, have a Electron agriculture, electron biology, electron chemistry, they're all listed in alphabetical order except one. The, the top of the list was always the theology lecture. Why? Because these scholars understood that all of the other sciences, all of the other things that we can know are anchored in our understanding of God. If they're not built on the foundation of God, what they, they would call theology the queen of the sciences, if they're not anchored in an understanding, a right understanding of who God is and how he has spoken and how he's revealed in himself, then you really can't have much truth at all. Albert Einstein famously said this, 
science can only be created by those who are thoroughly imbued with the aspiration toward truth and understanding. This source of feeling, this desire for truth, this desire of understanding, however, springs from a sphere of religion. To this, there also belongs the faith in the possibility that the regulations valid for a world of existence are rational, that is, comprehensible to reason. This is how Einstein speaking. I cannot conceive a genuine man of science without that profound faith. You understand that? You understand what Einstein's saying here? He is saying if you're going to do science at all, you have to have a commitment to order, to reason, to rationality. And then he goes on to say, the situation may be expressed by an image. Science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. I like that. Science without religion, science without an understanding of God is lame. It cannot walk is what he's saying. There's not, not lame as in like common vernacular. It can't walk. It has no legs. It has no foundation. It cannot stand by itself. It will always collapse. There's a famous Princeton professor, for, uh, professor of philosophy named Hans Halverson. He argues not only is it a historical fact that Christians invented the modern scientific method, right? This, Christians created science, but that even today, science rests more firmly on theistic foundations than on atheistic foundations. Listen to this. Theism says that there is an order in the universe. Theism says that there is design. Theism says there is goodness. Atheism does not have a satisfying answer for any of these things. Atheism flows out of a, uh, an understanding of disorder. Atheism flows out of an understanding of success. There is no goodness or beauty or any of these things that we know to be true. John Lennox, who's a famous mathematician and philosopher who taught for years at Oxford, he, ha he has this little antidote. He's a believer he has this little antidote where he'll ask people that are atheists. He says, well, how do you, how do, you do science? Tell me, tell me how you come up with these truths. And they'll say, of course, well, my brain. And he says, well, tell me about your brain. How does it come to exist? And of course, according to an atheistic or Darwinistic atheistic thought, the brain came to exist by means of natural, mindless, unguided processes. And so Linux asks them, well, why do you trust your brain then? If it came to being by natural, mindless, um, unguided processes, how can you trust your brain? Would you trust a computer that came into being by a natural, mindless, unguided process? And of course, they would say, well, absolutely not. Not in a million years. And of course, Linux would then reply, well, you have a great problem then. You see, Christians don't reject science. Christians invented science. Christians have a, a, a true Christian understanding would produce a love for science in you. As Einstein said, science gives us eyes. Science helps us to understand the world that God created. Science helps us understand the order of it, the beauty of it, um, the, 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 the wonder of it. One of the things, some of y'all know this about me, one of the things that I love is the periodic table. Um, I think we have a picture of a, a periodic table I almost think that I could lead someone to faith in God just with the periodic table. Just, just this alone 
screams that there is a divine order. You, you can't look at the periodic table and be an atheist. Um, when, when Mendeleev, who was a Russian chemist who made the periodic table, when he created this, it, it was amazing. It was genius. Uh, right now, there's about 115 elements. He only knew that they'd only discovered 50 or 60. I, I don't know the exact number, but it was 50 or 60 elements. This is the 1870s. 50 or 60 elements at that time. But Mendeleev was smart. He understood the order of the elemental world, this order, of course, of the atomic world that we still know today. And so what he did in his periodic table, this was the genius of it, is he put gaps between elements where he knew there were elements that, of course, we hadn't found yet, we hadn't discovered yet, but he knew where they should show up because of the order of the elemental world, the order of the atomic world. And since 1871, we've filled out the periodic table, and guess what? Mendeleev was exactly right. He was even able to guess ahead at some of the weight and melting points and, and different properties of these elements. How was he able to do this? Because he, understand that the, because he understood that the world is not chaotic. It is orderly. It is rhythmic. It is beautiful. Uh, Oliver Sacks, who would say he didn't, doesn't have much of a belief in God, once said this, the periodic table is not an invention, but rather a discovery of some cosmic order that exists. And in fact, he said it is a beautiful cosmic order that exists. And I just want you to hear this. That's what science is. Science is really not an invention of anything as much as it is a discovery of how the universe actually works. Right? How did we put a man on the moon? we figured out how the universe works, how fuel works, and how uh, trajectories work, and how speed works, and how the moon is moving around the world. How do we come up with medicine, right? How, how are we going to cure this coronavirus, right? We're going to discover, we're not going to invent anything new per se, we're going to discover how the universe actually rightly works, and how we can, uh, in a sense, help our bodies to fight off this disease. This is DNA. DNA is uh, a communicative uh, design in our body. The, the, the DNA communicates. It, it gives our body design. Christians believe in a natural world. Science gives us eyes to see this natural world. It gives us eyes to see the goodness and the beauty and the order of God. But of course, Christians don't just believe in a natural world. Christians don't have a problem with science. We have a problem when from the study of science, people try to say that the natural world is all that there is. C.S. Lewis writes, the naturalists have been engaged in thinking about nature. They have not attended to the fact that they were thinking. The moment one attends to it, it's obvious that one's own thinking cannot merely be a natural event. It's too orderly, it's too logical, it's too reasonable. And therefore, something other than nature must exist. In a similar way, the philosopher, not the preacher, but the philosopher John Gray uh, writes this. He's at the London School of Economics. The, the philosopher John Gray writes, Modern humanism is the faith that through science, humankind can know the truth and so be free. But if Darwin's theory of natural selection is true, that is impossible. The human mind serves evolutionary success, not truth. 
That's very important for us to understand. The natural world has no explanation for things like truth or love or morality or beauty or even rationality, the very thing that it depends on to exist. These things that are most intrinsic to us, that are most real, the natural world, as wonderful as it is, it just can't explain unless it's built on something else. Of course, I would argue unless it's built on God. John Lennox uh, also says this. I love this quote. He says, of course, I reject atheism because I'm a Christian and I believe Christianity to be true. But I also reject atheism because I'm a scientist. How could I be impressed with a worldview that undermines the very rationality that we need to do science? Science and God mix very well. It's science and atheism that do not mix. Again, Christians believe in a natural world. We just know that the world is much more than just natural. And of course, this is what Paul, before the scientific method was created or discovered, this is what Paul is saying here in this passage. He is saying that, that we can't comprehend God, we, we can't know God um, unless or we can't get truth right if, we, if we're just going by the spirit of this age. The spirit of this age is fading away. The spirit of this age is, is, is passing by. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. What, what we need for truth is the spirit of God. What we need for truth is to know God. And of course, that brings me to my second point. And that is, what is the foundation of the truth? What is the foundation of truth? One of the things that Christians believe is that we were made in the image of God. Of course, now an atheist would say that God is made in the image of man. Atheists would say that the material world created God. Of course, the theistic world would say that God created the material world. This is the classic debate. And of course, there's many reasons that Christians believe that obviously God created the material world, and we've given some apologetics for this. Things like Aquinas's ontological argument that I talked about a few weeks ago, or Aristotle's first mover argument. I don't have time to get to these right now, but these are great questions for the sermon talk back. But the idea of the image of God, that we are made in the image of God, I think is very powerful. We have, you have, I have all of these intuitions, all of these things within me that I know to be true and right. I know that there is morality in the world. I know that there should be justice in the world. There is an idea of right and wrong. But what's interesting, we have all these intuitions, but we don't obey our intuitions, right? We don't follow our intuitions. We can't live up even to our own standards. Francis Schaeffer has this famous quote. It's one of my favorite quotes. He says that all God would have to do to condemn us is to hang a tape recorder around our neck and record all of the judgments that we make. So all of the times that you say, well, he shouldn't do that, or she shouldn't be doing that, or I can't believe that someone would do that, all the judgments that you make, all God would have to do to condemn us is to play back for us at the judgment our own judgments. And of course, none of us would be able to live up to our own standards. We would fall short of our own standards. So if we all have an intuition for justice and morality and beauty, but we ourselves can't live up to this intuition, then where do these intuitions come from? And of course, the Christian worldview gives us an incredible answer to that. It tells us that, that we were made of God. We've been made in the image of God. But that, of course, we've fallen away from that image. We were made to know God. We were made to know the heart and mind of God. And of course, the only way we can find our way back to this 
is that God must show us the way. Of course, this leads us to our passage and to this second point here, which is the foundation of truth. What is the foundation of truth? And the first thing I want to kind of look at here is what is truth? Look at verse 6 again with me. It says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. There, there, is a, there is a wisdom behind the wisdom of this age, if you see. God-given wisdom. You know, it's an interesting time to live in. Uh, we live in this Western world. In, in hundreds of years ago in the Western world, if you said people, to people, where, do truth, where does truth come from? They would say, we need to look up. You look up to find truth, Right? That's why things like the Bible, things like the church, these had enormous power because people realized that, that the way to finding truth was to look up, to, to look to God, to look for his revelation, that, that we need more than just the wisdom of this age. But of course, as modernity came on board, people said, well, to find truth, you need to look out, right? You need to look at the natural world. This is what we are just talking about. You need to look at the natural world, see what you can discover, and that's where truth comes from. But now, of course, in the past, really even in my own lifetime, We've moved into a postmodern age, which would say that, that really, if you want to find truth, you don't have to look up. You don't need to look out. You need to look in. In. That's where truth is. And of course, this is what we know as postmodernity. Postmodernity is defined really well. This is a, an author, Neil Donald Walsh. He's famous for a series that he wrote called Conversations with God. Um, but of course, this is not a Christian framework that he's working from here. It really represents classic postmodern thought. He says this, and this, this I think summarizes what postmodernity is. He says, there's no truth except the truth that exists within you. There's no truth except the truth that exists within you. Everything else is someone else telling you what to do. More simply put, you do you, Right? And what Paul is saying here is, no, you can't trust you, do you? You can't trust the wisdom that's within you. You can't trust the wisdom of this age. If that is your anchor, if your anchor is what's inside of you, if your anchor is the wisdom of the day, then that will lead you to an enormous amount of emptiness. It will lead you to angst and anger. It will lead you to a lot of division. It will lead the world to a lot of fake news. It will lead to us having no moral backbone, no trust, no courage, no conviction. And what Paul is saying here to you, and what, what I would say to you, is the wisdom that we need is the wisdom that is from above. What, what you need and what I need, if we ever want to know truth, if we ever want to have a foundation for truth, is that we need to know God. God is the foundation for the whole cosmos, and therefore he is the foundation for what is true. But the second thing that we need to think about here is, okay, if truth comes from God and we are separated from God in our sin, then how do we get truth? How do we know truth? And again, the passage is helpful here. Look at verse 10 again with me. It says, these things that God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For, through the, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of this world, 
but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. You know, the amazing thing about God is that he's made himself known. We can know God. God is not just a mystery to us. God is high above us. He's far beyond us, but we can know real things about him. I love this Carl Henry quote. He says, God has forfeited his own privacy so that we could know him. Or you could say, as Paul says in Romans 12, uh, verse 2, one of my favorite passages, don't be conformed to this world, right? Don't be conformed to the wisdom of this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may be able to discern what is the will of God. You can know, you can actually know the will of God, the mind of God, the goodness of God. That is an amazing statement. It's an amazing thing to believe that you can know, actually know God. And again, I would say without this knowledge, unless you know God, you can't really have peace. You can't really have an anchor that transcends everything. We need this kind of an anchor, especially now. We need a kind of anchor that transcends the world. You can know God without knowing God. You're susceptible to anything. Truth comes from within. Well, you're susceptible to so much. You're so small. If, if, if truth is dependent on your strength, then truth is a myth. Truth is not reality. If truth is dependent on the wisdom of this age, then there is no truth. We will be tossed back and forth with all sorts of human cunning, as Paul says in Ephesians. But the beautiful thing that, that we believe as Christians is that God has actually made himself known. And so the next thing we want to look at, where do we find this truth? If God is the foundation of truth, if, 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 if the Spirit of God has made this known, then, then how do we get to this? How do we find this? And there's three things that you need if you want to find truth. And the first thing is you need your Bible. <laughs> you need the Word of God, what the Spirit of God has done. In, in, God has revealed himself to us in many ways. He's spoken through the prophets. He's obviously spoken through his own son. But the most authoritative and definite way that we have revelation from God is obviously from Scripture. And if you want to know the truth, you, you need to know the word of God. God has spoken to us and he's revealed himself to us in the word of God. And if you are a Christian, if the spirit of God is within you, then when you read your Bible, what you should be hearing is a Galilean accent. What I mean by that is you, you, you should be hearing in the words of Scripture the actual words of Christ. This is why when I read the Scripture every Sunday, I say, hear now the word of Christ. Hear the word of Christ. Christians, hear the word of Christ. Hear, hear Jesus himself teaching you and leading you and speaking to you. And how much do we need this? This is one of the reasons that we're so passionate about reading our Bibles every day here. You know, during this whole coronavirus, uh, Anthony Fauci and the president and the vice president, the governor, they've been giving us these regular updates. And they're good to hear because there's a lot of uncertainty in the world. And it's, it's good to hear all these things, all this information that we need to know. Well, what if, what if you could have information? What if you could have the voice of, of God himself speaking to you and correcting you and changing you and guiding you and informing you? Well, this is what God has given us in his word. The second thing that you need if you want to know the mind of God is you need the church. Christianity is never isolated. Verse 13, it says, we, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths. And I think this is important, not to you who is spiritual, but to those who are spiritual. There's an implied plurality here. 
to those who are spiritual. We need one another. We need one another to rightly discern what God is telling us, what even he's inter- telling us in his word. This is one of the things that makes this time so hard is that we're separated from one another, but I'm so glad that you're doing this. We need one another. We need this time to sit down underneath God's word and to think about these hard things. I'm so grateful that our groups have been meeting through Zoom. You guys have been doing an amazing job with that. We had literally hundreds of people join us for our members meeting last week. We need that. Our institute courses are full. As we mentioned earlier, we have 30 people coming to a first, our first Sunday pursuing church membership. We need one another. If we want to know God, we need one another. Really, the hope of the church is this, that we would speak the truth to one another in love, as Ephesians 4.15 says. How do we know the truth? It's, it's from God, and, and it's, it's given to one another as we speak the truth to one another in love. So we've talked about the foundation of our truth. We need God's word. We need God's truth. But lastly, if we want to really know truth, we need to be spiritually minded. Look at verse 14 again. It says, the natural person, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for their folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So how how do you get spiritually minded? How how do you become a spiritual person? How do you go from being uh, a natural person to a spiritual person? And I think here's how it happens. Here's what God's done for us. It happens when we begin to see Jesus rightly. You see, Christians didn't don't reject science. Christians, of course, as I said, invented science. It tells us about the natural world. It is a gift. It is a a good from our Lord. It helps us make sense of the world that God has created, that he made. It gives us us a foundation to understanding these things. But the problem is that, that so often through science, through our study of the natural world, we can become enamored by the natural world. This is the problem of sin. And it's not the problem of sin in the last 150 years. It's always been the problem of sin. In the garden, Adam and Eve, what was their sin? They became enamored by something God created. And they looked for answers in the thing that God created rather than looking for answers, looking for truth in the creator of those things. And we've all done this. We've rejected God's order. We failed to love him. We've been separated from him. And of course, this separation leads us to a lot of pain, a lot of confusion. It leads us to faulty conclusions, but ultimately it puts us at odds with God. But the amazing thing about God, here's the amazing thing that God has done. Even though we have rejected him, even though we have run from him, even though we have gone our own way, God has not stopped pursuing us. And God has ultimately pursued us in his son, Jesus, who did this, the thing that we believe, the thing that we're celebrating this week, we celebrate Christmas, of course, we're celebrating it this week, is that Jesus left the supernatural world and entered into the natural world. Jesus entered into this natural realm, this natural world. He came to be like us, to identify with us so that we could identify with him. Jesus totally identified with God in that he never disobeyed God. He never disobeyed the Father's will but he totally identified with us in that he became like us in every single way. You know, I have a friend who this week lost a child. And in in one sense, I've been sad for him all week, ever since I've heard this. He's not a 
great, great friend of mine, but I, I know him, I love him, I care about him, and I can so identify with him in this because I have a child. <laughs> and I can't imagine the pain and hurt that it must be to lose one of your children, to have one of your children taken away from you by death. But, but here, I should hear this in the same way. God, who is so far above us and so perfect, who has put this world in order, has created all things, God has come in Christ to identify with you, and he identifies with you in all of your pain, and in all of your grief, and in all of your suffering. And the amazing thing is this, Jesus came to also identify with your sin. He took on your sin. He took on all your shame, all your sorrow. As I was saying a few weeks ago, it's as if Jesus took on all our diseases and died in our place. He suffered the consequences of our sin in our place. And here's the deal. If you believe that, if you believe that, and if you believe he overcame these things in his resurrection, then that's how you become spiritually minded. That's how you actually get to know God. When you begin to start to know God in Christ, and you can know his goodness, and you can know his beauty, and you can know his wisdom. Look, I want you to hear this. I'm just a simple guy from Alabama, but I know God. I know God because God has made himself known to me and he's come after me and he's pursued me in Christ. What does that mean of my life? I can know truth. I can know rightness. I can know beauty. And this is what it means to be a Christian, to identify with Jesus, to to find a relationship with God through Jesus, to become spiritually minded, And when this happens, the truth of God doesn't seem strange anymore. In fact, it's life-giving. It's the reason so many of you are tuning in right now. You you need this. I need this. We need to hear from the Lord. How can we know what is right and true? How can we keep our balance without a foundation like this? You see, Jesus came to identify with you, and he calls us to identify with him in faith by believing in him, by looking to him, by, by resting our lives, not on the natural world, not on the things that we can see around us ultimately, but by resting our lives on him. And so I want to invite you to, to pray with me as we close. And, and I just want to call you to faith, to even deeper faith right now. You know, you know some of you who are watching right now, uh, you, um, your faith right now is very strong. Christ is your anchor. He, he is the one that you look to through this coronavirus. He has been your, your steady confidence, and let's praise God for that. He's given you wisdom. He's given you peace. He helps you understand this natural world that you live in and how it works, that it's fallen, and oftentimes bad things happen in this fallen world like viruses. But some of you in this time, your faith is, is really weak. And you're having a trouble to believe these things. Maybe you've been, somebody said, hey, you, Christianity and science aren't compatible, and, and you found that could be a compelling argument. Well, of course, hopefully today is showing you that's, that's not a compelling argument at all. Totally falls apart. Maybe some of you, um, just because of pain, just because of suffering, your faith is weak right now. Maybe some of you, you've just never had faith. Well, I, I just invite you right now to believe. To believe that behind this created world, behind all the things that you can see, there, behind all this order and beauty that we see in the world, there is an orderer who is God.
And as we said last week, even the, the suffering and pain that we see in the world, these are perversions of God's design. This, this comes from our brokenness, from the fact that, that the world finds itself in sin singing a different tune. But I hope right now, as you, as you meditate on all these things, that you would see that God in Christ Jesus, this thing we celebrate this week, God in Christ Jesus, has come to redeem this world, to come to rescue this world, and set it right, and set it new, to make it whole again. And Jesus is our only hope. But if you know Jesus, you, you know you have everything. If you know Jesus, you can know God. And if, and if you know God, if I said to you, hey, you can know God, what more can I offer you than that? So I just invite you right now to look to Jesus. It may not all be clear. It may not all be accurate in your mind, but look to Jesus. Trust him. He came. He came to rescue you. He came to be forsaken by his father for you. He came to identify with you in every way, even even in your sin, so you could be forgiven and through the powers of his resurrection so you could know God. And so, Father, I pray right now with our heads bowed across this city in different rooms, all across the city, and maybe some people even watching from different places. Father, I pray right now for everybody watching this, everybody hearing what I'm saying right now, Lord, that you would just increase their faith, that their, their hearts and their minds would turn not to themselves, not within, not, not to the things they can observe around them, their hearts would turn to you, would turn to Christ, that, that Jesus would be today the author of our faith and even the the perfecter of our faith, the one who's going to keep our faith sustained till the end, Lord. So, Father, I pray that you would do this in the good name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to prepare now to take uh, communion, and I just invite you in your own home, if you if you have uh, some wine or juice, if you have um, some bread, uh, to just be gathering those things, and we'll take this communion corporately. It's it's one of the ways that we identify with Christ. It's one of the ways that we commune, not with just one another, but that we commune with him. And we find ourselves knowing him in a deeper and fuller way. So be gathering those elements, be worshiping with us in response to this as Matt leads us, and then we'll take these elements corporately here in just a few moments.